You're listening to The Mixed Project, a collection of photographs and narratives of Black folks in mixed race. I'm your host, Jeff Cooper. When was the last time you changed something about yourself? When was the last time before entering a space, you checked a piece of yourself at the door? I'm talking about a behavior or maybe a thing you do an inflection in your voice. When was the last time you chose to leave that at home and not take it with you? When was the last time you downplayed an interest or feigned intrigue in another? I think what I'm asking is, when was the last time you betrayed yourself? Perhaps more importantly, why did you do it? Was it to please the people around you? Was it to fit in? Was it to protect yourself? For singer-songwriter Desiree Dawson, she learned at a young age to hide bits of herself, to turn bits off, to stay quiet. She was a mixed black girl in a town that was, well, very, very white. In fact, it has the color right in the name. Growing up, she was tasked at an early age to learn how to navigate this town, to navigate her classmates and the spaces where bringing her whole self could cause problems. Desiree was met with what we would call today microaggressions, comments about her appearance, her family, and having stereotypes about black people projected onto her. Desiree's response became to hide parts of herself, to conform to the group, and to opt for silence instead of speaking out. In our interview, we talk about how this became internalized as the belief that something was wrong with her, and that there was something about her she should be ashamed of. It's a belief that Desiree admits she is still undoing well into adulthood. I recorded this interview with Desiree back in October. She invited me into her home and we sat down and it very quickly became obvious to me that this was going to be a very intimate and a very uh, vulnerable experience for both of us. It was a beautiful one. At the time of this recording in October, Desiree's latest single was a track called Just Fine. And you'll hear me talk a bit about the single towards the end of the interview. I posed her a few questions about some of the lyrics that I found particularly thought-provoking. Since then, Desiree has actually released another single called All In. Please be sure to check out Desiree's music uh, on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you get your music. She has an incredible voice and uh, you will surely become uh, a fast fan. Okay, so I'm sitting here today with Desiree Dawson. Hi. Hi, Desiree. Um, so Desiree, you are a singer-songwriter, and I think one of the most impressive things about you is that in 2016, you won CBC Music's Searchlight Talent Contest. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to your um, most recent single, Just Fine, uh, all this morning and all day yesterday, it's <laughs> firmly stuck in my head. It's such a beautiful <laughs> yes. song. And we'll we'll get into that later. I have a, a question or two about, about the lyrics behind that, because it's... Um, um, you're saying some really, some really personal things in that song that I that I personally relate to, and I think a lot of people mm-hmm. will relate to. Um, but anyhow, 
So the Mixed Project, as you know, is a photograph and narrative project where we collect the stories of Black folks of mixed race. So right off the bat, let's get into it. Um, tell us a bit about your roots. Who were your parents and where did you grow up? Okay, so my roots. Um, I grew up in a small city called White Rock. Um, and I grew up with my mom and my, my mom is of French background of some sort, French settler who their family, I guess, settled in Ontario mm -hmm. long ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I grew up with my mom and my, my sister, Nakaya, that's who lived in my house yeah. for my whole life. Um, and then my dad is from South Carolina, mm -hmm. and he, he was born in Buffalo, New York. So I have a lot of family in Buffalo, New York, in South Carolina, in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, wow. Um, so that's kind of where my my roots are and yeah. yeah. So your dad your dad didn't grow up in South Carolina, but he was he was born and raised in Buffalo? So he was born in Buffalo. I mm. think he moved to South Carolina at like age two or three. Or gotcha. So he spent most of his life in South Carolina in a, in a place called Anderson, South Carolina. Anderson, South Carolina. Yeah. Okay, cool. Do you go and visit? I do, yeah. Like a lot? I've been going more, especially as I've gotten older. I've been like so drawn. I just, uh -huh. yeah, I love going there. It, it, every time I'm there, it feels so nostalgic. The smells, the, and I think it's nostalgic, yes, to childhood, but I swear it's something deeper. Like it's just like South Carolina has such a place in my heart. Yeah. And and very emotional. I feel really emotional whenever I go there. Like, like things just start like pouring out of me and I'm just like what's happening here but in a way that I want to keep going back and it feels cathartic family yeah, yeah it feels like I'm supposed to be doing that wow. even though it's really hard <laughs> so how did so how did your dad get from South Carolina up to Canada so I think I'm still unclear about the story. <laughs> that's okay but I'm pretty sure what happened was he was in the, the navy and so he came through and there's I guess there's a like a port in Bellingham or something and okay. I think him and all his like Navy buds would like go to Vancouver to party and be like, this is so cool and fun. And then I think he met my mom somewhere mom. there yeah. out, out on like <laughs> Davy street or something. <laughs> so your parents met here in Vancouver. They met here. Yeah. Okay. Very mm -hmm. cool. Um, so you're saying that you grew up in white rock, um, this small beachside community. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with white rock as well. Yeah. Um, what sort of black community did you have growing up? Well, I didn't have, I didn't have a community and I, I had, like some for so I have a lots of siblings mm -hmm. and so we were really close with my siblings Shanique and Shaquan who mm -hmm. lived in Vancouver so we would like we lived in White Rock they were in Vancouver yeah. so like a 45 minute drive we would see them quite often yeah so I got to see them and their mom and so that was kind of like the black folks that I and these knew. are all and black people yeah yeah so all three of them are black so that was kind mm -hmm. of like my only real like community I think um, and then when I was back in White Rock I had a couple friends, but like I didn't go to their homes and see their their parents, or yeah. so I I really wouldn't say I had a community at all. Yeah. Um, just like a bunch of great people, but dispersed and not like as a we didn't come together necessarily as like a this is our community. This where is, we, yeah. yeah, yeah. You didn't have sort of like a concrete um, black community you could locate in one sort of specific area. It sounds right. like it was sort of this um, this mix of people from all over the Lower Mainland. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was that like? How did that feel? I mean, I think like this is something I'm just unpacking a lot, like the past few years too, is just the 
the way that I guess I just adapted to it. And I think my soul always ached and, and longed to have that. But because I, it was nowhere in sight, I just tried to figure out how I could find a community, mm -hmm. which led me to many different very white communities. Um, and so I think, of course, I met, made beautiful friends and all these different things. And and but I think it was it was a difficult experience. Like, I mm -hmm. again, the things that are coming up now are like so heavy that they're kind of like knocking me out for days on end or like I just can't really sit with some of the stuff that's coming up so I think it definitely wasn't easy <laughs> growing up in that in those communities and not having anyone in a black community to be like oh yes this is these are the things that will come up or they said that yep yeah, this is why or you know just like mm -hmm. kind of support in some way of the things that were coming up. So this is kind of vague, but it's just because if I went into it, it would be like hours of a conversation. So. Well, I mean, if, if you want, and if you want to give an example or two, I mean, this is all up to you. I want to make sure this yeah. is a safe space and you feel, and you feel good. Do you want to share any of those things that are coming up that are really knocking you on your feet? I think just like, I will just kind of gently touch on some of course. stuff. So I think some of the big things were like, um, like microaggressions, but like the things that, my mom, who is a lovely woman who loves us dearly, is white and she really had no idea of the things that were happening. And so mm -hmm. I think sometimes because she just wanted to believe that like everyone loved us as much yeah. as she did, yeah. she wasn't always down to like um, fully be like, oh yeah, because of racism. Like she wouldn't acknowledge yes. it. Yes. And I get it because I've talked to a lot of parents actually recently. This the other day I talked to a group of, of dads who all had mixed race kids mm -hmm. and they said they didn't want to put their own perceived like the things that happened to them onto their children so they just didn't talk about the things and I invited them to maybe if your kids do come to you with things mm -hmm. don't act like they're making it up because I internalize so much yes. as if I basically one of my biggest like things with myself right now that I'm always trying to move through is that I always think I'm wrong and I'm bad and I internalize so much of that shame that came from what other people were putting on me mm -hmm. but because I didn't have a community to like be like oh yeah that's not you that's them that's them I was like, it's me, it's me, it's me. And so to this very day, it's like constant thing of being des. It wasn't you. And then being like, wait, was it? And it's like, you know, this constant thing. Oh, you're giving me chills right now. Yeah. You're giving me chills right now because I can relate to that so mm -hmm. hard. That wasn't, because it wasn't our fault. Yeah, it wasn't our fault. But I think, I still like think everything's my fault. And I know it comes back to this because this is like early years. And I also remember someone saying, I can't, can't remember when they said like the age of when you notice shame and things like that yeah. but I remember it at a really young age feeling ashamed and feeling wrong and feeling like I had to hide parts of myself and feeling like when my black dad would come into town like everyone would treat me different like just all of these things that I mm -hmm. added up in my head to equal something's wrong with me what's like but I had no one to talk to about it no you know and again yeah. my mom tried Strong, in yeah. her white ways but like in her loving ways yeah but it wasn't enough to like help with these specific things. And I think, and I think with when it comes to a white parent, um, you know, I have a white mother, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's it, when those situations arise, it's two things. It's one, the fact that they have these blind sites, mm -hmm. these, bl um, these blind spots, pardon me, where they're unable to really identify what's going on. They don't really know what's going on. They don't mm -hmm. see it as a big, necessarily a big deal. And second of all, they just don't have, um, they also, as their parent, they don't want to in engage. Um, they don't want you to dwell. They want you to, to be happy. So they won't necessarily acknowledge or sit there and spend the time with you to talk about yeah. those things. I think parents do that with a lot of things. If your kid's being bullied at school or whatever, totally. you don't want to necessarily... Because what we're talking about is a sense of... Is a, is a type of bullying, isn't right. it? Right. 
Completely. And, and, and parents don't want to necessarily um, engage with that because they want to just lift their kid up and, and sweep it under the rug yeah. and move on. And that's the thing why if I you make me so cry during this interview, I'm going to be so mad at you. <laughs> That's one of the hardest things is now my relationship with my mom because I'm trying to like understand that she was never malicious and she like I'm very grateful to have had a mom who wasn't ever trying to hurt me on purpose mm-hmm. you know at least to my knowledge mm-hmm. but it, it that's the one of the hardest things is like she was in ways and she was just yeah. trying her best and so it's like how do I understand that she was just trying her best but now like you know what I mean it's such a weird thing to try to understand and then also like the feeling of being like um, never want to put responsibility on every anyone else for my feelings. Yes. Again, it's just like, oh, I did this to myself. Like again, the whole like, instead of kind of people made us feel a certain way, I'm like, I must have done something to deserve this feeling. Instead of being like, no, no, it's what you said. Like, or maybe so. you should have been stronger. Right. I should. Is been, that a thought yeah, you ever have? Totally. Yeah. Um, I know that I've helped that felt that sometimes too. That um, and that has a lot to do, I think, with like toxic masculinity. Of if these people are getting to you, you should have. Um, that's your fault because you should be strong enough. Six right. and stones will break my bones, but mm-hmm. and all that, all that shit. Yeah. Um, so you said in an interview with CBC Music, I think this is back in 2016 when you won the award, you were mm-hmm. saying, um, my dad is from South Carolina, they're all down there, mm-hmm. and I grew up with my mom, and she's white. So it was kind of like, I felt my whole life, like I was trying to fit into these into these boxes, fit into a box that I never quite fit into. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe a bit more about what that box looked like? What was the box you felt like you were being pressured to fit into? Hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> I think um, I think it's like when I think of it, it's mostly the parts of myself that I felt like I had to hide or something. Like, and it's interesting because now it's, it comes up in my music too with like um, music was one thing that I felt like I wasn't allowed. Like I had music that I listened to alone, and then I had music that I listened to with my friends. You know, like because I found that if I listened to too much like black music. That's what they would only let me. That's like what they, I would be like held to or something, yeah. where I wasn't allowed to have the like movement of listening to all different kind of genres and not be stuck to any of them. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of think there was like some things that I would just keep to myself, or if I ever, I can think of like times I decided to wear a shirt that was like really, um, really bright, and it was a, a summer day. I got like so so many shades darker, and yeah. I was feeling good. You know, I walked up to this party, and one of my friends was like, said something about like damn you look black to, but not like a you're looking like it was a white person and who said something about like how black i look in a critical way in a critical way okay but in a in a way that, again a way that they had never thought was like a bad way and i and and if if it had been said like i love your skin's looking great it wasn't it wasn't that it was like almost like oh you brought that out today like it was like mm-hmm. a side of myself that i had chosen to bring out or something mm-hmm. And with all these little comments that I got, I realized like, oh, for some reason, this version of me isn't safe or something. They don't like this version of me. They didn't like it. And I think the strong thing you're talking about is I wish now I went back and I was like, I don't care. I, or like, I was like, yeah, I am black. This is my shirt. Bye. Like, I wish I just kind of was like, I look great, you know, but instead I remember I never wore that shirt again. Yeah. Oh, wow. And you like, locked it away. I locked it away. And it's, and, and the hard thing too, is these friends are friends sometimes that I still have now that who are maybe they don't say that that kind of stuff anymore. maybe they're more evolved but like how do i handle what my friendship was with them and how they've done better now but like the pain that i felt in all these weird situations growing up is like something that's been coming up a lot for me is like how do i 
Because that memory's still there. Exactly. That memory's still there. Yeah. And it, you're still hurt by it. Totally. And and how do you how do you bring it up now, ten years later, whatever right. it is? How do you bring it? Remember that thing that happened ten years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Oh totally. wow. So things like that. I don't know. That yeah. that doesn't really talk with the box, but kind no, of but just an idea of of things that were said that made me feel kind of like, oh, I guess this isn't good. The way the way the tone of your voice and the way your face made that face makes me think you think my blackness isn't a nice thing that I brought to the party today that you wish I maybe brought more of the whiteness to the party or something, you know? And part of me was wondering when I read that, that this comment that you made in the interview, I was wondering if they were trying to fit you into sort of a white suburban uh, conservative box mm. that's that's specific to, to the suburbs and, and to White Rock. Right. Or if they at times wanted to put you into um, the hit black girl box. Right. Was it I bo- think both. Both? Yeah, I think both. And I think I felt safer in the conservative one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which makes me really sad. Like I'm like my throat automatically like tightens up because I'm like I don't want it. I wish that wasn't what I tried to do because I hurt myself and I hurt a lot of people in my life by trying to fit into that box too much. I hurt my siblings. I hurt you know what I mean because that's all I was like. This is where I'll be safe this is in this box safe. with of these course, people who course. aren't treating me that well, but they're my friends and everyone in high school is kind of treating each other not so well. Or so I kind of just like stayed here and I I think I have a lot of guilt and shame about not just. Like, not that I have to stick in like the hip black or what, but being whoever I want to be. Being whoever you want to be, yeah. I can be that, 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 and like not be ashamed of any of it, you know? Because this is because this is the thing I think with mixed people who are um, black folks who are mixed, not even black and white, but black and anything, mm-hmm. is what what I think we ideally need is the ability to just be wh- whoever we want to be, and that's for everyone. Everyone. This yeah. project though, we're talking about black folks of mixed race, so I mean to be specific to that. Just to be able to, it's like the 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 weight of these choices we have to make when we choose to pick up a black CD back in mm-hmm. the nineties, yeah, or put on a black song on our on our phones, or I want to listen to to Neil Young, mm-hmm. or I wanna, like the weight of those decisions for us, I think, is what's what needs to stop. Right, because it's not just a, I'm gonna do it and I just do it. It's like a let me think about it first. Do I really want to, is this what I'm trying to be portrayed as today? Do I, it's like the thought, the energy that goes into every outfit, every word, every music choice, every thing, everything I eat. Like it's just, it's constant. Everything you do. Yeah. I was talking to my sister kind of recently, one of my sisters, Nakaya, whatever, I don't know if she'll care. (laughs) We're just talking about how we used to have a fear of eating watermelon in public. Oh yes. Yes. And the other day I was in the Okanagan, or this is like last summer I was in the Okanagan with a big watermelon and I was like taking chunks with my mouth I was like you know what yeah. I mean I was like I can't believe I was shamed out of eating one of my favorite fruits or yeah. whatever I think it's a fruit yeah, like, yeah yeah just like you know those kind of things I wouldn't do the, I would. there's so many things I wouldn't do in front of my friends just to like spare the, any kind of thing I might have to deal with because that little comment that they'll make yeah. just stings yeah totally. no I totally understand that and you just want um what was I going to say? I remember myself just sort of like stiffening up every time that sort of like something to do. Even to this day, I'll feel that sometimes I'm in a predominantly non-black space, which is everywhere here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And if people start talking about black politics, mm-hmm. even if they're, and typically in Vancouver, they're being very supportive and they're talking about you police brutality. I stiffen right up because I think, because I'm so used to having to be like the, um, the, uh, the black point of view right. or the spokesperson for black people. And that, and that, and I think it's, it's unfair. It's totally. an unfair pressure to put on me. Um, I noticed that too. A friend of mine yeah. sent me something today or a couple of days ago and all it said was Black Lives Matter. And I was like, I just didn't even want to, like when I hear a white person talk about it even sometimes, I'm like, just because I, the same thing. I'm like, I don't know how to, 
I don't want to be in that role right now. And then I'm right like, now. oh, I'm, they're not even asking me to. But it's just, like you said, that immediate being so used to having to or something. Because like, it's so funny. We were, the only, we were the only points of reference, real life points of reference for, um, for black people, for a black person that a lot of our peers had growing up in the suburbs. We were the only ones. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were being fed constantly these images on TV and in music or in the news. Because we get so much from the U.S. Mm-hmm. where um, black people are such a larger part of the, of the, of the, of the culture, of the, of the pop culture and of the political culture. And, uh, you know, you hear these stories, you turn around, you look for someone to relate, to talk to about it. Yeah. And they see you and you just constantly get these questions. So, so for mixed folks, uh, for black folks of mixed race, there's also this long history of, of privilege. Mm-hmm. And the privilege can come through things like hair. The privilege, the privilege can come through things like uh, light skin, proximity to whiteness. So how would you say, be, how would you say being mixed race has, has served as a, as a privilege to, for you compared to other black folks, maybe even other mm-hmm. folks in your family? What can you say to that? Totally. Like, that's something that I'm really coming to terms with, right? Like, for the past few years is, like my proximity to whiteness and my my ability to especially like with things like my hair or just being being kind of like bred in that society I was mm-hmm. really able to like I knew when to do this and when to do that and it was like I could fit in and seem safer for a lot longer and I had the I had the ability to kind of like shapeshift a little bit more mm-hmm. you know and, and fit where I needed to whereas like I wouldn't have been able like people oftentimes like a lot of people know I'm black some people don't sometimes they're like oh are you this this and this so even the privilege of being racially ambiguous ambiguous. is a privilege because that at sometimes people I'm not faced with the anti-blackness that Mm -hmm. a lot of others are so like walking through the world being racially ambiguous you know sometimes people I get excited when people know that I'm black it makes me feel really good but sometimes they don't and that's a privilege in itself so I think just really learning like of course us black mixed race folks have had it's a tough time and it's it's so much to unpack and process Mm -hmm. but also while I'm on that journey I'm trying to hold space for that like fact that I also had a lot of privilege within that and that Mm -hmm. to hold space for other voices that did not have that privilege I guess too were there there ever any moments growing up where you should have leaned into that privilege definitely I think my whole high school years was like just fully like oh falling back into it you know because I was like that's what I thought I had to do and I think that's one of the like the the, probably the most painful parts of my existence that I'm trying to come to terms with right now is like the people that I hurt my family that I hurt by leaning into that whiteness Mm -hmm. and trying to pretend that that's that was all I had when it was very clear like I was not white I'm I'm not white passing by any means like Mm. but I think just knowing that I really leaned into that was like very harmful on many many levels harmful i mean if you feel comfortable harmful and <laughs> harmful in what way it's um, okay, as see. much as, as much as you want as really as yeah. much as you want to say but but i'm curious to know because i mean like yeah that's something that that mixed race people sometimes do and it's not it, it's sometimes i don't know where to place the blame because it's not our fault that the world's racist mm-hmm. um it's not our faults at all so what are some of the examples of the ways that maybe you um, through leaning into your white, through leaning into your 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 mixed race privilege, you 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 hurt those around you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think like especially growing up where I grew up and the friends I had, and I knew it was not a safe place to like really unpack my whole family dynamic, which is yeah. very complicated. And you know, and my dad was not there, and I have siblings all over, and I just felt like I kind of hid like or just didn't even talk about my family really, which is harmful because like my family members, my siblings, like 
we are close and we, I feel like if it kind of put like a sever in the bond that, that was trying to be formed there because I was so busy trying to like, just play the part of what I was felt like I had to play being in white rock. Mm -hmm. So I think like my inability to show up for my siblings, my inability to like, to see what was happening and being like, Oh, like, I'm clearly like choosing my white friends to like, just try to like feel this safety, this false sense of safety mm-hmm. when now I'm hurting the people who I actually like care about the most and who yeah. I like, who, you know, so I think it, 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 it showed up in ways of like not being there, not physically yeah, yeah. supporting yeah. my siblings, not being like, yeah, I get that. Cause I was more like, there was points in my life where I couldn't talk about what was going on. I could just feel it. And then I, all I knew is I didn't want to feel it. So the safest way seemed to like just fall into I don't know I don't even really know what happened fall fall, fall deeper into your white you know yeah I shouldn't speak for you but yeah, yeah. Fall, no, but fall deeper into your white into your white community into your white friends and then just be kind of silenced in and there be too silenced and not say there, yeah. much but like and be the be the parts of me that they seem to like and just kind of like quiet down the things that they don't and like the things that I've learned they don't like from things like I told you earlier, like yeah. facial expressions or like, why are you doing, or just, you know, it's like, it's like ways that people would say certain things to me. So I think, yeah, the, that privilege is a privilege. It's also like uh, a, a privilege that kept me safe in those times and also really hurt me, you know? Cause it's like, yeah. then I, I cut myself off from all these beautiful experiences with the people who now all I want to do is spend my time with. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a brutal process to have to sever those, sever those parts of yourself off. Like, yeah. like I sometimes think about the thing. One, one question I've, I've asked in the past is sort of what are the things that we leave behind being mixed race, especially when you're black and white, um, when you're moving into white spaces, what are the things you sort of have to leave behind, leave at home mm-hmm. to go into these white spaces and to, and to, and to feel safer to try and acquire this level of safety. And, totally. and sometimes it's literally, family members mm-hmm. sometimes it's literally family members or it's your um your your whole story you have to leave your whole story right. at home because it's just it doesn't fit into sort of like this nuclear family model totally of you know and people and what's so funny is that um this is just going off on a tangent right now the nuclear family of one one mother one father and two kids that's how we can that's how we conceive what we don't talk about is that we also sometimes we often think about that as everyone being the same race. Mm-hmm. Totally. Oh, definitely. Always definitely. being the same race. And that's, I think, another... There was just, like, so much history of my family that I didn't want to have to explain to people because I knew no one really around me had... A, some people did, but for the most part, no one had a, a very specific relationship where their dad wasn't there anymore because of blah, blah, blah. And it was just, like, it was so confusing that I was, like... And also, when, if I ever did say something like, oh, my dad doesn't live here, I remember getting a couple times like, oh, yeah, and they tell me some really racist joke about, like, how the black man never stays or, like, so you know what I mean? So it was just, like, I didn't want to have those conversations because I was like, well, if you look at my family, you're going to say that because that's what happened. But also, you're not looking at why he doesn't, like, why, where that whole lineage is of black men not staying, quote, unquote. Where like, that comes where from. Where that comes from. That, from the history of racism. The history. The disruption of the family unit through, exactly. uh, through slavery. That we're still absolutely dealing with still yeah because here you are you know single mom single mom mixed race in white rock and for those of you listening the white in white rock is not a suggestion mm-hmm. it is very much real yeah <laughs> it is not a suggestion no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we kind of we kind of talked about this already but i'll ask the question again mm-hmm. and you can answer however you like um you know in that same uh quote that you that, that i pulled from cbc you were saying that um these pressures 
kind of disrupted your ability to feel at home, this concept mm-hmm. of home and your community. Can you speak more to that? Sort of like what, how did, what did home look like? How did it disrupt your ability to create a sense of home? And how have you gone on to try and build a home? Mm-hmm. Home in the, in the, in the um, literal sense, in the metaphorical sense, um, as you moved on into your adulthood? Yeah. Okay, well, I think, yeah, that feeling of not feeling welcome, mm-hmm. like only feeling partially welcome to ev- to most things since I can remember opening my eyes and seeing the white world around me. And so I think I never felt, I've never been someone who's like, Canada, like I just never have felt so passionate about it. And mm. it's just always felt like an unsafe place to me. Mm. Even if I didn't, I wasn't always this like outspoken about it. And my friend, like I'm, I would still go for Canada and put like stickers on my, you know what I mean? But sure. deep down, I wasn't ever like this place feels safe and like home. It always felt like I'm in the wrong place. And then going to South Carolina was like, well, how come half my family is here and living in these like mostly black communities and like what it just felt like something was wrong, like something didn't feel right about my home. And and then, um, so that's kind of how I've always felt. And I I still feel that way. And then also growing up and realizing like, I, I've been talking about this lately. It was like growing up on Semiamu territory, Mm -hmm. having no idea that I was like, my soccer team was called Semiamu, this high school, the, the mall, like all these things and having no idea that I was not very far from the reservation, that there was no clean water on the reservation, that like all the things of like mounted police that were around, just like, I didn't, I don't, I didn't know about that stuff when I was younger, but like, I feel that, you know? And so I still don't feel like that is, that didn't feel like home for a good reason. Like I, I'm kind of glad I didn't like plant my, like, this is my place. It's never been my place. It hasn't been any of our places. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course I'm, I'm here now and I, and I plan on staying here in Vancouver for a little bit, but I, I guess I've started to recreate home as like a inward, like an inner thing in my group and the, the communities and stuff, because I, I still don't feel like a land is my home. I don't feel any land is like a land that calls me as like mm-hmm. one where I really belong. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like in the um, when you were a child, before you were aware of sort of the um, this, this colonial framework that mm-hmm. we were, the colonial forces that were um, that you were that you were living in, um, the occupied sort of lands that you were living in, mm-hmm. you felt unsafe. You felt un, you felt like unsafe and also like uh, you had no sense of home right. because of the comments people were making regarding regarding your race and the way that you presented. Totally. And now as an adult, as you learn more about sort of colonialism, it's it. it further complicates right your ability kind of makes it like it was dead on what i was feeling oh right so you feel you feel you feel um uh, vindicated in your in your feelings yeah yeah like it was obviously i i don't know how much i really felt of that i don't know i can't remember how much we talked about Mm -hmm. indigenous practice like i really don't think it was talked about at all in in high school for Mm -hmm. sure but like i kind of feel like yeah like it's a different experience i'm having now with it um but it, it validates it's the same it's i mean it's not like the same thing but it it really shows me that what I was feeling is has to do with what I feel now about well, because, it. Well, you know because I mean? the same because the same um, system of white supremacy that made you feel un, um, uh, like you weren't at home and made right. you feel unsafe is the same reason why the Semiamu people can't feel... Well, I'm not saying they don't feel at home. Right. Let me start that again. Yeah. Because I was onto something and I kind of screwed it up. Okay. <laughs> so it's the same system of white supremacy that made you feel like you weren't at, at, at home or couldn't be at home that also complicates complicates the idea of you ever calling that claiming that as home mm-hmm. um, because of, because of colonialism. 
Did that make sense? Yeah, 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 totally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Like, it's and the same perpetrator in both the instances. The same perpetrator, yeah. And so I want to make clear that obviously I don't feel like it's the same thing as what, like, I'm not right. saying I know what that experience is like, but it's the same framework that, and so exactly. The same perpetrator, yeah. the same, same perpetrator. It's, it's the same sort of system of white supremacy that yeah. complicates home for all these people. Yeah. We, we talked about you sort of fitting into this, um, how you would often sort of choose to try and squeeze yourself into this sort of white conservative box. So as a sort of maintain your own safety growing up in the community that you grew up in. At what point did you start in engaging more with your blackness? When did the journey into Desiree's relationship with her blackness sort of begin for mm. you? It's interesting. I have this thing where I've kind of blocked out like from maybe a couple years after high school all the way back to my elementary. Like, I don't remember hardly anything. So mm. I have a hard time with que like certain questions because I actually can't remember I can't remember much of it yeah but I every so often I'll get like a, a memory of me being maybe like grade nine or something and, and me standing up for myself about something or because in my mind I kind of was always just like quiet and didn't say anything. and then I was like no Des like there were times where you'd be like you are racist like you know what I mean so I think there were parts of me who always were was feeling stuff and saying stuff yeah but I think it was definitely out of high school like long out of high school maybe the past I don't know, five, six, seven years, maybe six years, where I've been really like, okay, like, no, this is not, this isn't who I am, this is parts of who I am, and I'm, I'm on this journey to find the rest of me, you know? Yeah, um, and what's that journey been like? What's it sort of, what, what's it look like? Tell me about it. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an intense-ass journey, <laughs> but it's beautiful in many ways, and like, I'm happy that I'm finding these pieces of me, because I feel so much better, like, being me and, and letting and giving my space to give myself space to learn who I am and, and doing it at the same time as my music career is a very interesting thing too because mm. like what music I'm producing and it's just a it's an interesting journey but it's again it's quite painful because of the things that are coming up that were pushed down so deep for so long as you may as you may feel that as well yeah um yeah. so it it sometimes like I said it like will like knock me out for like some weeks where I'm just like wow. so sad about old things that then I'm like, why are you sad about this? This happened years ago. And like trying to understand and, you know, trying to just like move through that stuff and, and feeling so many things. So yeah, it was, it's been a, it's a, it's a, it's something. <laughs> I just want to say that like that for what it's worth, I know we just met each other for what it's worth. Like, um, I hope, I hope that you understand that those reactions are completely normal mm. and that that's completely, um, that that's completely okay. And that it's, it's actually really impressive that you're doing the work. Yeah, it's good to remember that because I think sometimes I feel like when I do get knocked out, I'm so scared of telling because I'm just scared of people's reactions because of how they've been in the past of like, oh, just you're you're over exaggerating, you're dramatic, just keep going. But like these kind of thoughts of like, yeah, how do I share this with others who are also in marginalized communities who are also going through different things? Like when they say, how are you? And I want to be like, not good, you know, but I don't want to then I, I don't know how to explain it and I, you know, it's such a weird thing. So then I'll just like isolate a lot, yeah. but, um, and then yeah, dealing with white friends, it was, it's a whole thing too. I've kind of just taken a lot of space from a lot of my friends cause I don't know how to process this with mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. Cause it's not just like I say it once and then it's better. It's like, I might have to say it for like two years every day. Like, and that's kind of a scary process to have to, to ask them to be a part of. Cause I, yeah. I guess I'm scared they won't have space for it yeah yeah well they have well they have the time you're such a creative it's so funny this is like you truly have the heart <laughs> the heart of an artistic person 
You really feel things. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about um, your mixed race identity and also just your blackness and how it sort of intersects with your music. Um, because so much of society's idea of what black is, or what black culture is, is attached to music. Mm-hmm. So is there any way in which like your race or your identity intersects with your music? Hmm. Well, I think like how I said before, like I, mean, I don't know actually if I said this, but I grew like grew up listening to everything, like a mix of so many things. Like I spent years and years where like it was my whole computer was Lil Wayne, Kanye West, <laughs> like Beyonce, like that was like who I listened to. But and the, the next in the morning though, I might listen to Adele and some like indie whatever. Sure. And so I think that the the like merges of all of that and I think I have a hard time making those black and white like obviously <laughs> so I, I th- I'm finding a hard way of noticing what is black in my music and what is white and, and like I, I always account my soulfulness to black <laughs> and and like and but it's like it's all very kind of confusing to me to like kind of pick that apart but recently I had someone say to me a black woman say to me like you she, she at first was a huge fan, loved the music, loved yeah. my voice, blah, 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 and then said something like, I think it's just a little confusing, though. You have to figure out, are you black or are you white? Like, you have to figure out which one you're, where you're going to go with it. And I'm like, and at first it hit me hard, especially coming from a black woman. I was like, wow, is that, is, is that true? And then I, like, sat with it for so long, and I still have moments of thinking that. And then I'm mm. like, Des, like, that's, like, not fair of her to say that. And that's mm. actually not real. And it's just, like, I think she was confused with because of where she grew up in the, the her, like her community and the music she listens to mm-hmm. but it, it felt kind of unfair for her to tell me that I have to choose yep. and I was like I also am never going to choose to be a white like I'm not gonna be like I'm doing white music now like I would yep. never ever say that or do that mm-hmm. and then what it like what is that even you know and I feel like even country music came from black people yes like yes. literally country music that we hear came from black people. So I'm like, rock I don't and know. Roll. Rock and roll came from black people. It's like everything I'm doing came from black people. So it, as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. I'm doing Desiree music and mm-hmm. I'm black and I'm white and I'm a mixture of things. And that's the music I'm doing. But being put in boxes in music is really hard. Like mm-hmm. people automatically want, if they, if they see me before they hear my music or sometimes even after they've heard my music, they'll just be like, Oh, R&B, R&B. And I'm like, if you listen to my music, of course there's R&B influences, of course soul. Like sometimes I'll play at Calabash. You ever go to Calabash Bistro? Yeah. And I think when they when I play, they call me indie soul, and I'm like, I like that. This sounds good. Why not? That's great. You know, because like, indie soul kind of is that mix of black and white, isn't right. it? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Indie like, being typically what we call white music, right? and soul being what we call black music. Right. So I'm like, okay, we'll go with indie soul. I guess. it first. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. again, it feels weird being classified into things because I yeah. I don't think when I'm writing my music, I'm never like, oh, this will be the black part, and like, ah, oh, this will be the white part. Um, I don't. I really. I'm not trying to ever make it for that. So no. I, I, that's what's kind of confusing sometimes is like, but this is who I am. So maybe the music will be that. I don't know. Okay, let me let me center myself for a second. <laughs> because my very next question is, yeah. what is black music? Right. Like this thing, what is black music? Yeah. You know? Um, and I was listening to your I was listening to your music and I thought to myself, I wonder how she fits in in this in this landscape, in this landscape where there's such a strong we have such strong preconceived notions or strong ideas of what black music is. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sort of how mixed people like us sort of fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to sing a bit my, sometimes myself. 
and I feel this pressure as a black person who presents as black, like I present very yeah. much as black, to sing soul or sing a song where my voice is doing this sort of very typical yeah. African American vocal acrobatics, which is which it's is beautiful. beautiful. Um, yeah, totally. Which but is, it's just not what you always want to be doing. It's not always what I always want to be doing. And and on my and you've already answered this question, but I was going to say, have you felt any sort of pressures in the in the music industry as a black woman to sort of fit that mold? And you've you've, you've answered yeah. to that, which and is especially great. in the industry. So that was like on like a. That person's in the industry, but it was more like that was like a personal thing. Yeah. But I've even noticed when I go to like I put up my last project, mm-hmm. just fine. You've heard it, and mm-hmm. it's definitely like more on the kind of like a pop. Like it, it's like a pop. I don't even know. I still don't even know what to put it. I think we put it as pop though, just when we put, released it. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because I, I submitted to have someone help me promote the single mm-hmm. and I saw that like this person has gotten people on Billboard and on all these these blogs. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like when it came time after I paid them and everything, they got me a, a premiere on a blog that is when I looked, I saw any black person who has ever worked with them got premiered on this blog. Yeah. And all and anyone else can could get on other ones. And so and this one was specifically soul. So it just it kind of made me feel like I think they didn't do any work to whatever if they hear this. To <laughs> like actually see where would this pop song fit in. I kind of feel like they were like, oh, perfect, another black person on our roster. Let's put them back on the soul one. Yeah. And and it, and it was hard because, again, I don't want to discredit, like, a lot of people who are on that blog are amazing. Yeah. If that's the genre, if, if, and they're writing, that's their genre, that's where they want to go. But, mm-hmm. like, it was a little bit, I felt kind of like they just were like, oh, let's put this black girl on this one, you know? Yeah. And it felt that way, and it didn't feel like they actually cared at all about, like, the music and what they where it would fit best and yeah so it was just like a little bit of a um it was just it's interesting things like that where people really want to like put me in different spots to fill mm-hmm. something that isn't actually what I don't know what it is and so because because you're part black because you're a black woman you it, that determines so much for you and that right. can just feel so constricting sometimes right, right? Constrict. and, and yeah. I think it would yeah. be the same if everyone only ever put me in one that I didn't feel some people know I am a indie pop artist and this is like the genre I do and some people know I am R&B artist and this is what I do and I think if they get put in those boxes and they're like, I feel good here. This is where I, this is where I want to be. That's mm-hmm. different. Different. Yeah. But in, as an artist, like I don't want to ever be pushed into only being this, like whatever, whatever they want to call white <laughs> music. Yeah. You know? And I don't ever want to, I just don't want to be pushed into any corner ever in mm-hmm. life. And so I don't know. It's a, yeah. It's, I, th- it's, I think in many, in many, in many ways, your sound and your music is, um, is, is, is very unique. There's something very unique about it. Mm. Even when there's moments where I hear Adele, where there's moments where mm-hmm. I heal, where I hear, um, there's moments where I hear a bit of Adele and there's moments where I'll hear almost like Alessia Cara mm-hmm. and then I'll hear bits of, I'm sorry, I'm comparing you to other artists. It's okay. Cut I, this I, out. I cut this out. People, I always get Adele, Alessia Cara. <laughs> yeah, I get, um, Amy Winehouse, Lauren Hill. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll hear the, I'll hear the Lauren Hill. Um, uh, I'll hear the Neo Soul in you, mm-hmm. but it's but you're um, you're difficult to sort of define. And I think that that's um, the space that you should dwell in, mm-hmm. and that's kind of speaks very much to this to this project. One last question. <laughs> um, it's almost not related to, to what we talked about so much, but um, in your most recent single, Just Fine, mm-hmm. which I absolutely lo- love, everyone go and listen to it if you haven't already. Um, you have a lyric where you say, I found a lock, I found a key, I found some reasons why. When I'm closest to my dreams, I don't want to try. I have this part of me that always tries to keep me safe. Another part that seems to sign me up for every race. And both sides, they fight. Yeah, they try to show who's best. 
now I mediate, I'm always stuck cleaning the mess. Where does that, mm-hmm. where does that push and pull come from? It sounds like you have two forces inside you. Mm-hmm. One that's telling you to go out there and get it. Right. Another one that's kind of telling you to stay safe and stay right. inside. And not go too far, not, not shoot too high and just like play it safe and stay at home and yeah what's going on um so i think that's just i mean this is this is a song especially when i play it live where people are like did you read my diary like they'll always and i'm like i think it's the human experience you know just like this like because of the systems that are in place that have told us like you're wrong and you're about in so many different ways and like for us we've we've kind of mentioned like mm-hmm. you were saying like being a queer person being mm-hmm. a being black like it's like we've we've had these systems that have been like telling us what to do for a long time and there's so many other ones that have been telling us all how to live our lives and so i think for me it shows up that way like the the voices i hear telling me don't do this you should do that and like that's bad and you're blah blah i'm like those aren't really mine they're kind of like these they become mine and they're these parts that live inside of me um but i try to just remember that like a lot of them aren't mine and that they were placed there and they were put there to keep me kind of down and to keep me from like shining as bright as I want. But that I, but that I just need to keep going. And like, so I think it was funny because I, my, uh, my friends, uh, I don't know what she officially calls herself anymore, but like a creative, not a creative coach, but she just basically is like a life coach. Like a life coach. And and we had a beautiful session together, like right before I wrote this. And it was kind of about like, just helping me realize that I had this, like these, all these different parts of me that were not trying to hurt me. Like the side that's trying to, that tells me to stay home is just trying to keep me safe. And the side that tells me to go and go do all these wild things. It's also trying to keep me safe. They're both in their different ways trying to do it. Mm -hmm. And so all these parts just want to be heard as well. So it's kind of like if you've ever done like inner child work or like, like talking to those little parts of you that have been wounded or that are scared and being like, what is that you need to feel safe? You know? And so through this session with her, it kind of evolved into this, this realize, like realization of like, wow, I have so many little parts of me that are all wanting different things. Yeah. And it's complicated because sometimes they need different things. So I have mm-hmm. to be like, okay, I'll give you that now, but I'll give you that one then. And like, and, um, but that it's, it's, it's a hectic journey and it's intense. And that's you mediating. That's me mediating and be like, okay, I'm trying to figure all this out. And um, yeah, and I can't remember what the first lyrics you read were. <laughs> I found a lock. I found a key. Oh, yeah. I found some reasons why. And I guess that's just like the, like the session, like being mm. like, oh, I kind of understand this a bit more. Like mm-hmm. the, again, my brain isn't out to get me. I'm not. There's nothing inside me that's like bad or evil. It's just like a bunch of parts of me that are looking for things and that are wanting to express and be heard and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's more like the keys and the, the the reasons why are like the key to it is like sitting down with myself and and leaving space for myself to actually know what those things are, what they need and how they need to be nurtured and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a journey of inward self (laughs) discovery. So those parts of you, because in the beginning you were saying that those parts of you that are trying to keep you safe, maybe it's those systems of oppression or the systems that have told you to sort of, um, do you still believe it's that or do you, because it sounds like those are negative things. Mm -hmm. But then then it um, it sounds like you're also saying that they're not necessarily out to hurt you. So like, how do you negotiate that aspect of those? Because I'm really, I'm really interested in those parts that are like trying to tell you to, to, um, I don't want to say push you down, but Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like I'm interested in those. Okay. So I think what it is is that the systems from day one told me things about myself. Okay. And so that's not a very nice, that's kind of like a negative thing. Mm -hmm. It's definitely negative. Um, but now 
it's like the parts within myself who had been told all the things and are wounded and are, are scared and are like, but can we really do this? We've been told black people don't go snowboarding. We've been told it's like all these different things, yes, you know, yes. like the things we've been told, like, but then it's like, they're not, the little parts of me aren't bad or evil or negative, mm-hmm. but they've been told negative things. So now it's like soothing them and being like, oh yeah, I remember you thought that. And that's why you're now too scared to go to that dinner party. But like, actually like, and that's, that was all real and validating it and yeah. getting the validation I didn't get from other sources. That's all real. But also like, I know you have like a support system now that will be there if, if this dinner party goes wrong, yeah. like, they will come in and they will. Yeah. So like, I guess it's basically just like looking at the fears that are very real because they, the reason I have the fears is because of being hurt so badly before. Yeah. But going forward, like I don't have to limit myself by those fears, I guess no. is kind of the idea. Like, Mm-hmm. And I think, some, like you said, sometimes you got to give yourself weeks to, to mourn and grieve the experiences, but that like, I know there are things that I wouldn't do a couple years ago because of fear of, oh, but there's not many black people there. People are going to treat me like not nicely and that now I'll just go and, and just try to be in the spaces. It's not always easy. I still have to like have my back up and yeah. take deep breaths, but I can now actually get into the spaces. Yeah. So I guess it's just, it's kind of, if that makes sense. That makes makes absolute sense. That makes fantastic sense. Um, Okay, cool. Well, that's it for all my questions. Thank you so much for, that was, that was truly incredible. I'm so glad I came and I sat with you. Um, So to finish it off, I mean, what's on the horizon for Desiree Dawson? Where can, where can we see you in the future? I have like hundreds of songs that I've been working on. So I'm just trying to figure out what's the best way to deliver them into the world. Uh And um, so New music coming, the shows music always, playing lots of different shows all I think over. you're playing at the Fox at the end of October. Yeah, at the Fox. Yeah. Um, opening for my friend Olivia. He has his EP release. So that's going to be really nice. Nice. And yeah, just playing, playing lots. Okay. Well, yeah. you might just see me there at the front row. Yay. <laughs> thank you so much, Desiree. This yeah, has been incredible. thank you so much. Hey. So nice. <laughs> Thanks once again for listening to another episode of The Mix Project. Please don't forget to like, to subscribe, to rate, review, do all those things, and to check out the accompanying photography for every single guest at themixproject.com. That's mix spelled M-I-X-D project.com. Until next time, you guys.